If you were with us earlier this term, then uh, you may remember, well I hope you remember if you were with us earlier this term, three messages that I preached, uh, which were entitled Belonging to the Family, Part 1, Part 2 and Part 3. Okay? And I'm sure they were significant in your life and they spoke to you. You remember every word in detail, don't you? Oh dear. <laughs> well, what I don't want to do this morning is just re-preach the same thing, but I do want to pick up one or two things. Because in those messages, we, uh, we looked at what it meant to be a church that loves God, that loves one another, that loves those who don't know Jesus yet, and reaches the nations. And uh, that's the sort of church that we want to be. That's the sort of church that we're aiming to build here in Derby. And if you're visiting us this morning, then uh, hopefully that will give you an idea for what the sort of church that we're trying to be. There's a little pack here that says, Welcome to Jubilee. And if this is your first time here, uh, then do take one of those on the table at the back and inside that handily drops out. It's good that, wasn't it? Shall I do that again? Very impressive. Inside is a little card that says, Let's keep in touch. And if you'd like to stay, um, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, thank you, then if you just pop your details on that, and give it back to me or somebody who looks like they might want one of these afterwards, uh, then we'd love to stay in touch with you. You can receive our email newsletter and get to know what's going on in the life of the church. But that's the sort of uh, church that we're trying to build and it says a little bit more about that in there as well. And it'll be a little little surprise to know that uh, in those messages that we looked at earlier in the term, we spent some time looking at perhaps one of the most significant passages in the New Testament that talks about the life of the early church and what it was like to be part of that group of people in Acts chapter 2. Now I've already said that I don't want to re-preach the same message, although it looked like most of you had forgotten. Anyway, I could probably do that and get away with it, but I'm not going to do that this morning. What I do want to do is look at one particular area of church life see what we can glean from Scripture about it, and then go on to talk about how we're going to move forward as a church in this area in the new year. Okay? So this morning isn't a typical preach. So if you're thinking, well, I came expecting a typical preach, then I apologise up front. But this is more, if you like, a family word to us, uh, looking at Scripture together, but also looking at where we're going in the new year and what God has for us, we believe, and some things we want to put in place uh, to help us that. So, we're we're looking at some things that would help us to build a biblically functioning community that honours God together. Is that okay? So, you you with us for this? The journeys, we'll spend a few moments looking at this. Why don't we pray and ask God to be with us and help us as we look at his word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sense of your presence with us already this morning. Lord, we, we know that you are with us always anyway, but just that manifest sense, that sense of your manifest presence, we love. And we love to be uh, with one another, we love to be in your presence. And we pray now as we look at your word together that you continue to speak to us, that Lord Jesus, you may uh, help us to understand what we read and help us as we seek to apply this to our lives together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 2.
Probably if you've been in Jubilee for any length of time, your Bible should fall open automatically at this passage, (laughs) I guess. Um, Verse 42, we'll read a few verses together of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves... They devoted... (laughs) You guys concentrating at the back or are you just surfing? (laughs) Looks like they're just surfing, doesn't it? We'll come on to that a little later, perhaps. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a wonderful picture of New Testament church. And we see a church that's uh, full of real commitments. We're told that they were devoted. We're told what they're devoted to as well, aren't we? We're told they're devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And uh, and we're told too they had everything in common. They met needs amongst themselves. They were full of joy. God was pleased with them because he added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was an exciting church to be part of. But before we unpack one one or two things, I want us to look briefly at another passage. You don't have to turn to this, but it's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, if you're making notes. It says this, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you may well say, Graham, what's the relevance of that passage in Hebrews to what we're talking about this morning? Well, it's this. In a passage in Hebrews we notice two things. Firstly, the writer encourages us, his readers, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then immediately he goes on to talking about meeting together. It's like the two are inextricably linked. Now, I've spoken before about spurring one another on. If you're familiar with the term, you'll I'll know that sort of spurring is a horse-riding term. You, know, you have spurs on... Uh, uh, boots, you might ride a horse with it, and they'd be sharp, and they would sort of dig into the horse to encourage it to move forward and keep going. So it's not so much a gentle, well, come on if you can, it'll be good if you kept going and perhaps got over the next fence, but it's like, come on, we need to go, we need to move forward, we need to get over this next fence or whatever it might be. So the writer's encouraging us to spur one another on. Now, I'm not suggesting let me make this clear that you go and get a sort of, you know, school compass and spur one another on, sort of literally, and jab one another on, because that would be bad. It would be unhelpful and probably illegal. But we can encourage one another and encourage one another enthusiastically towards love and good deeds, which is what the writer says. And then he talks about meeting together as though the two go hand in hand, although the two are inextricably linked. Now, it seems ever since the days of the early church, 
there have been those who argue that there isn't any benefit to meeting together. That you can be a Christian on your own. You don't need to be part of a local church. You can just wander through life following God and just work it out on your own. And there are plenty of people around like that today. Maybe you're one of them and just happened to be here this morning. I don't know. But whilst it's true that we need to respond to Jesus individually and nobody else can do that for you, that is between you and God. God invites you into a personal relationship with him and you're the only person who can respond on your behalf. Whilst that is true, in the New Testament, when people became a Christian, when people followed Jesus, we nearly always read of them being saved and added The two things go together. The New Testament expects the new Christian to be added as well as saved. You might say, well, added to what? Well, it's added to a local church, added to a community. You're not meant to just try and get by on your own. Try and work it out if you can. Try and struggle through making sense of life as a Christian. But rather, you're meant to do it in the context of community. Spur one another on, encourage one another, and keep meeting together. Both are important. So with that in mind, let's jump back to Acts chapter 2. We read that the early church is meeting together in the temple courts and in homes. So these, if you like, are large meetings and smaller meetings. Now, it's perhaps true that uh, homes in, in that part of the world... Uh, at that time may have been you know, a bit bigger than our two-up, two-down terraced house that you may be familiar with. Uh, but even so, we're talking about large meetings and smaller meetings. And both are vitally important. And both have got strengths and weaknesses. Now, in a large meeting, you know, it's, it's much easier to receive teaching from the leadership of the church because whoever's teaching can speak to a lot of people at once, so it's much easier to communicate to a large group of people the same message rather than go around in in ones and twos and just say the same thing. It's like far too long. Also, as we gather, as the church gathered in a larger context, there was sort of vibrant celebration and wonderful worship and that sort of excitement you get from being part of a larger crowd. That's sometimes harder with seven people and a five-string guitar. Although you can do it and although you, know, you can worship God in a smaller context and we do and that's important. Getting that sense of celebration and vibrancy is much harder. In a large context it's much easier to have a sense of mission, a sense of advance, a sense of togetherness, a sense that we're going somewhere. Which you can't quite have it in the same way as a small group. But there are some downsides to a larger meeting as well. So You can't know everybody. Now, this isn't a large meeting, really. There are just over a hundred of us here this morning. Um, But I I guess you probably don't know everybody. Even if you've been part of Jubilee for years, you probably don't know everybody really well. Because you can't in a meeting of this context. But in a smaller context, half a dozen, a dozen people, you can get to know people really well. You can make some really good friendships. You can share life together. And it's much easier to do that in a small context. In a larger context, it's much harder for everybody to contribute. 
although we want to encourage people to contribute in worship, it's much harder if you've got a hundred people, you'd be here for ages, wouldn't you, if everybody was going to pray out or read something or bring a prophetic song or uh, a word of knowledge. We want to encourage people to contribute, but just the logistics would mean we'd be here all day and your roast chicken would get burnt and, you know, and the potatoes would be so crisp they would have fallen apart. So we can't do that. But in a smaller meeting, actually you can all contribute. You can all pray out. You can maybe all share something, all bring a tongue or an interpretation. Because in a smaller context, it's much easier to do that. And I guess for many of us, it's less scary doing that in a smaller context anyway. Because you're not thinking, oh, am I going to get hurt? And what if it doesn't work? And, you know, if you're with half a dozen of your friends, then some of those barriers that uh, we have to sort of jump over to bring something in a larger meeting uh, are dealt with instantly. In a large meeting, you're part of a crowd. But in a smaller context, you are known. You're really known. And you know one another as well. Now, there are other differences too, and I'm sure you could say, oh, Graham, you missed out this, that, and the other. Well, that's probably true. But they were just a few that I thought of offhand. So, both a, a large context and a small context has got strengths and weaknesses. Interesting, isn't it, in verse 45 of what we read in Acts Uh, chapter 2, it says selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And that must have happened at I I guess probably a large and a small level because you know the leaders of the whole church wouldn't have known everybody and couldn't have known every individual need in the church. Yet needs were being met. So much so that in Acts chapter 4 in verses 32 to 37 we read that uh, all the believers were one in heart and minds. No one claims that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And it goes on, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had needs. I guess in our context, you, you might, it might be that, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we, if we read it in our context, there were no needy persons among them for, from time to time, those who had uh, ices or savings or uh, an extra car or whatever it might be, sold them and brought the proceeds to the church that they might care for one another. That's what it's, that's what it's reading. So there was a real commitment to one another. And individuals must have been known, must have been cared for individually, not just to have been part of a crowd. Now, some commentators reckon that the Jerusalem church would have been quite large by this stage, maybe approaching 10,000 people. Well, that's quite a lot. And there's no way that the apostles would have known every person in the church or known the detail of that. Yet they were cared for and loved. And there was a real commitment to being the church and that included both large and small meetings. Now, sociolo- sociologists, I get my teeth in this morning, sociologists today tell us that one of the greatest needs in today's society is a sense of community. With family breakdown increasing, and extended family not always living uh, in the same locality as would have happened in years gone past. There's a real need here. And when we use a phrase like, we're a family on a mission together, we really mean it. We really do want to be a family. 
and beyond a mission together. That sense of community is really important. Let me read uh, a quote, uh, an article to you from this book, Creating Community. The, the author says this. He says, Most mornings, after hitting the snooze button, I do what a lot of people do and faithfully visit my local Starbucks for a cup of the day's fresh brew. I begin to crave that first sip as soon as I walk out of the door and get into my car. I've become such a regular that the Starbucks employees know my name and I know theirs. Starbucks has become more than a purveyor of caffeine for me. It has become part of my daily routine. One day, while adding the necessary additives to make the product my coffee, I saw a card that caught my eye. If you are an occasional patron of Starbucks, chances are you've seen it too. It's a card promoting career opportunities at Starbucks. Now, it didn't intrigue me because I was looking for a job. What made the card stand out was the title. The card read this, Create Community, Make a Difference in Someone's Day. Since the subject of community not only intrigues me, but also employs me, I immediately picked it up. On the back of the card it went on. When you work at Starbucks, you can make a difference in someone's day by creating an environment where neighbours and friends can get together and reconnect while enjoying a great coffee experience. Interesting, isn't it? Starbucks sees itself in the business of doing more than selling a premium cup of coffee. Starbucks believes part of its corporate purpose is to create environments that connect people so meaningfully that it changes the quality of their lives. Sound familiar to anyone? According to the Starbucks website, what they're selling is the Starbucks experience. And he goes on and explains that in the States at least, we're buying. Revenues for the uh, upcoming financial year are expected to be in excess of $5 billion and Starbucks expects to open 1,300 new stores globally next year. Most recently, it was named among the 10 most trusted global brands. Not bad for a company whose primary commodity is beans. Starbucks is using coffee to promote connection. That's a good thing, because the company knows we are a culture craving relationships. Interesting, isn't it? So you've got a global company like Starbucks who sees themselves in the business of creating relationships, creating community. I want to show you a video. Guys, you might need to close down iTunes before you run the video, otherwise the sound won't mess up. I want to show you, uh, you may have seen this video, uh, this advert rather, on television recently. See if you recognise it.
you leave it there a second? Thanks, guys, for making that work. Well done. The latest Carling advert. I trust you'll forgive me for playing a beer advert in the middle of my preach. It says this on the Carling website. Notice the picture. It says this on their website. Five mates journey through space and time in our new set of belonged TV ads. The ads revel in the most prized aspect of sociability, being part of that tight-knit group of mates who look out for each other and have a laugh whenever and wherever they're together. The second of our ads, they go on, finds the group at the turn of the last century exploring the Arctic. Despite the tough conditions, they still show sterling solidarity in support of a mate. And at the end of the advert, you get a picture come up on the screen, not with Carling on, but with one word. Belong. Belong. Thanks, guys, you can turn it off. They are saying that if you drink this stuff, then you're going to belong. Now, let's just think about it for a moment. If two of the world's largest companies, Starbucks and now Carling, are trying to do things in order to promote their brands, they're not saying, drink this because it's the best coffee ever, or they're not saying, drink this beer because it's the best beer ever. What they're saying is, if you do this, then you will belong. You will belong. Do you think that if the amount of money they spend on promoting their brands, I mean, I, I've no idea what it is, it's going to be vast, isn't it? The amount of money they put into advertising their brands. And the way they're doing it is by promoting community. So they're saying, drink that and you'll belong. Now, we could argue with that and we probably would. But isn't it interesting? They're not saying, drink that, you'll like the taste. They're saying, drink that and belong. That phrase on their website, the most prized aspect of sociability. Friends, people want to belong. People want to belong. So how much more should the church be standing up and saying, hey, you can belong. You can belong. And accepting loving community is exactly what people are after and exactly what we're building in a local church. You don't have to drink Carling to drink to find it. You can find it in the church. And it's because community is so important to us that we're going to be making some changes in the new year. This is what I want to talk about just now. It's interesting, we've had a number of prophetic words recently as a church about change. And uh, I guess this morning I'm announcing some change that's happening. And that, those words have been encouraging to me as I've been uh, thinking about this and as we've been talking about things together. Because as I've been pondering some of these things over recent weeks and months, uh, people have been bringing words about change ahead of us and that's been quite encouraging because you wouldn't have known of my thought processes and uh, sort of praying about these things but it's been encouraging that God has been speaking to us in the meantime. So building community is what we're about but it shouldn't be a static, inward-looking thing. Rather, we should be building a community that will reach out and include others too. So I've spent some time looking at our cell groups and seeing how they're serving us as a church, and they're looking at ways of building on what we've got so far, and improving on what we've done previously. And Matt got the cell leaders to stand up earlier, and I just want to take a moment to honour and to thank our small group leaders. Currently, John and Val, Dash, Paul and Natalie, John and Julie, Matt and Louise, 
lead cell groups. And uh, others of you have done in the past as well, uh, been leading groups at different times. Others of you have led Alpha groups or uh, a follow-on to Alpha, a beta, a foundation course. All these sort of groups that we've been running. And uh, guys, you've done an excellent job. In fact, why don't we, give, why don't we applaud them now? You have done and you are doing an outstanding job. But I don't want us to get comfortable. And I don't want us just to sit back and think, hey, we've made it somehow, it's all going fine, there's nothing more that we can do. And uh, it will be true to say that our cell leaders have faithfully implemented what we've asked them to do. So that the structure that we've given them, the way we've said our leader cell group, they've, they've done it and they've done it well. But as I've been praying about these things and visiting the groups, I've noticed some areas that I want us to place a fresh priority on, particularly as we move into the new year. And these two things would be community and evangelism. Community and evangelism. And so to help us with these things, we're going to make some changes uh, at the beginning of 2008. And I've met recently with all our current cell group leaders and I can honestly say... I'm pleased about this. (laughs) They are all enthusiastic with the changes that we're going to be bringing about. That's been encouraging because uh, that's been uh, helpful to me to have their enthusiasm in this process as well. So, what are the changes, you might say? Good question. I thought you might ask that. And so I've prepared an answer for you. At some point in the middle of January, uh, and that will depend on which group you're part of, cell groups will finish and there will be no more cell groups. You don't sound very disappointed about it. There will be no more cell groups. Now, towards the end of January, we'll be having one or two midweek meetings all together, probably here, where we're going to spend some time worshipping God together and we're going to do some training on uh, operating in gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're not yet baptised with the Holy Spirit, not filled with the Holy Spirit, that would be a great evening for you to get to. We'll talk about that and pray for you. And uh, we'll, we'll learn to grow in some of these gifts together. And then in the last week of January, we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting. And we'll be having prayer meetings during that week. And then in the first week of February, we're going to launch what we're calling life groups. And life groups are going to be less of a meeting, in terms of a structured meeting, but more of a group of friends meeting together, building community and reaching out. So it's really taking some of the greatest strengths that we want to see in our small groups and building on those as we build the church together. Focusing really on community and reaching out. Now one of the best ways to build community is with food. Jesus did it all the time. Jesus was often eating with his disciples often feeding crowds of several thousands. And it's one of the reasons that Alpha works so well, because food is, in, is involved. It's not that Alpha has got necessarily any great new teaching, it's, it's you know, helping us to understand, people to understand the, the basic tenets of the Christian faith, but it does it around the context of building community, having food together. We made it a real priority when we first started Jubilee. We used, we used to eat together every week. I've got some large cauldron-type saucepans still as a sort of, you know, 
from their eras, we cooked vast quantities of spaghetti bolognese and other things on a weekly basis. But we're going to make food a priority again. Not because we want to increase our waistline, but rather because we want to increase the sense of community in the church. And so we're going to make that a priority once again. Each life group will eat together most weeks, if not every week. And having a meal together is just about the best icebreaker there is. When conversation is flowing freely, when everyone is opening up, when lives are being shared, you don't need an icebreaker question. You don't need to say, OK, let's stop this and let's have the icebreaker question because the ice is broken and friendships are being built. And one of the best ways to do that is, is around food. And so we're going to go for that once again in the new year. Now, I want to I ensure that our life group leaders don't get um, landed with cooking and clearing up every week. Because if you've ever had a group of people in your home, there's nothing worse than it getting 10 o'clock, them all disappearing out of the door, and your kitchen looking like a bomb's hitting. Maybe some of your kitchens look like that anyway. Um, but even more so, perhaps. There's nothing worse, is there? So you know, we, need to, we need to be sensible about this and pitch in and help clear up and uh, return the house to some semblance of order. Uh, and also need to take turns in cooking as well so it doesn't just land on one person. It doesn't have to be elaborate or complicated. It can be quick, cheap and easy. But I honestly believe it will help us to form great relationships and to build community. Now, experts say that people stay in churches not because of great sermons or wonderful worship or because of padded chairs or because of the latest high-tech video gear. People stay in churches because they make friends. And most experts reckon that it's about six people. Six really good friendships for someone to stay in a church. And that applies to new Christians and people who are going to a new church. Well, life groups will give people that opportunity to build those sort of connections, those sort of friendships. The other priority is, uh, is reaching out and evangelism. And so what we're saying is that each life group is every four to six weeks do something social together where you can invite your friends who don't know Jesus yet. So it's not that you're doing a big outreach event. We're saying do something fun and invite other people into it. So it might be going bowling. It might be having a chocolate fondue evening. It might be having a barbecue. It might be having a Nintendo Wii games evening. It might be a cheese and wine party if you're a little more sophisticated. Whatever it might be, do it every four to six weeks. Not the same thing, but you can have some variety. And, and invite other people in. So build some friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet and invite them to the next social thing you do together. Because you want to see every life group grow and multiply. And we think about it for a moment. Think of a friend of yours just now who isn't a Christian yet. Just think of them for a moment. Maybe someone that you're praying would become a Christian. Think about how they could come to a life group social event over a period of a few months. Maybe they come to a couple. Maybe they make some friends. And then when you make a big ask and invite them to Alpha or to a guest event and they walk through the door, they already know a whole bunch of people. They're not coming into a context where they don't know anybody, but they've met some of your friends already. And they've got to know them and they're their friends as well. And it's much easier then for someone to make the transition 
to joining a church where they know some people already. They feel like they belong, to go back to our word from the advert earlier. Provides a way in for them, makes the transition easier. Well, you might say, well, okay, what about worship? What about words? Well, I want to get away from the feeling we've got to pack a whole load of things into each uh, small group meeting evening where you're trying to run through an agenda and trying somehow to make it all work. And so what we're saying is um, make sure those two anchors are there every time you meet community, probably foods, and evangelism, which may be praying for people who don't know Jesus yet, it may be planning your next social event together. Whatever it is, those two anchors are in every life group meeting. And in between that, on perhaps alternate weeks, you could spend some time worshipping God and praying for one another. And maybe some time doing life application questions from the preach on Sunday and praying for one another out of that context as well. Be good for the groups to have communion regularly as well. They'll provide a way for people to connect to the church and to make friends. And I think they build on some of our greatest strengths and help promote those in order to see us move forward. Life groups are going to provide that structure where every person in the church is cared for, loved, is known. But it's not the only reason they exist. They help us to identify and train new leaders. They give an opportunity to worship together and look at some questions to help us apply a preach from a Sunday meeting. But most importantly, they're reaching out as well as building community together. Now, I'm pleased to say that all our current cell group leaders uh, will undergo a wonderful transformation in January into a cocoon for a couple of weeks and they will emerge at the end of January as life group leaders. And I'm sure that they're all going to continue doing that. As well as that, we're going to probably start some new groups around March or April time. So if you're in a cell group currently then your cell group leader will tell you what they're doing in January, when they're going to stop meeting, what's going on, uh, and when they're going to start as a life group in February. And uh, I'm trusting that you'll continue as part of the same group. Unless you've been really desperately looking for a way out, then this may be an opportunity to go to a different group. Uh, But I'm expecting most of you to be uh, in the same groups. I'm expecting most of you to continue. But listen, if you're not in a small group yet, and this would apply to some of you, so listen up. If you're not in a small group yet, then I hope that as we launch life groups in the new year, this will give you an opportunity to get involved in a small group. Because we believe it's vital to building Jubilee. It's vital to you making some good friendships. It's vital actually to you growing as a Christian. Because that's how you grow as a Christian working your Christian life out with one another in that sort of context of open, honest, loving relationships. So if you're not in a small group yet, then as we start life groups in February, I want to urge you to get involved, either in one that will start then or maybe one that will start a month or so later. It's where you can grow, it's where you can make friends, it's where you can receive care and also give care to one another. And it's where you can reach out together as well. So I want to encourage you to get involved in a life group as we start in the new year. I want to encourage you to see your life be transformed and changed. And encourage you too to be part of the process of transforming other people's lives as well as we move on together. 
So I, I believe having dynamic, fun, friendly, outward-looking life groups is key to us growing as a church. It's key to us moving forward into the new year. And whilst this hasn't been our vision talk for 2008, that will come at the end of January, I wanted to share this now so you get an idea of what's happening. And so as your uh, current cell leaders talk uh, about these things over the next few weeks, you will have have heard it from me and you'll have heard what's going on. And uh, I want to encourage you to pray for them as uh, they plan some new things for the new year. Pray for leaders as we announce them in the new year as well, some new leaders as they start new groups. I, I really believe this is going to be so helpful to us as we look at continuing to build on the growth that God is giving us and to see people really built in to the life of the church. If it raises any questions for you, then do please feel free to come and chat to me afterwards. I'm happy to talk about it further. We've talked about this for a while as, as elders and shared it more recently with our small group leaders. And we, we feel together this is the way forward for us and hoping it will serve us well as we look to continue to build the church. Amen?